Welcome to the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling. You are about to discover impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you, so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Be sure you visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now tune in, get ready, and enjoy the journey of emerging as a leader of exception in the 21st century. Welcome everyone to the Find Your Leadership Confidence podcast. I'm your host, Vicki Nethling, coming to you from Roswell, Georgia via Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And the goal of this podcast is to bring topics and guests that will empower you to become that confident leader and take your business and your life to the next level. Today, I'm very excited to have Sean Deverson as as my guest. And let me tell you about Sean. Sean is an honors qualified civil and environmental engineer with over 25 years of experience working in the defense mining, transportation, and construction domains. He also has a master's in business and technology and certifications in project management and systems engineering. Sean recently commenced a master's of philosophy with the Queensland University of Technology School of Law, where he will focus on the application of complexity science and natural laws and principles to reimagine new planning laws. Sean formerly served in the Royal Australian Navy and Royal and Australian Army Reserve. Through his diverse experiences, Sean has acquired a broad array of rich insights and skill sets within areas of leadership, sustainability, risk, and complex project management. These were acquired in a multiple array of contexts and areas of responsibility, including management director, project manager, sales and independent auditor, and verifier for major construction projects. From these experiences, coupled with his ability to deliver philosophically reasoned and evidence-based insights. Sean is regularly invited to deliver and chair conference panels with a focus on the future of work, innovation, risk, and abundant opportunities awaiting governments and corporations committed to transformation based on regenerative practices. Today, I thought we would delve into the topic of leadership through turbulence and complexity. Please join me in welcoming my guest, Sean Deverson. Sean, such an impressive background and uh, a lot of things that are in synergy with my background, uh, project management, leadership. And I love the whole idea of thinking of how we can do things better through our new technologies, AI and whatnot that's coming along. So very excited to chat with you today and welcome you to my podcast. Uh, Great to be here, Vicki. Thank you for the opportunity. 
So we always start out with the easy question, which is tell everybody, even though your accent gives it away, where do you mm -hmm. call home? Um, my home is Australia, South Australia. I live in the capital city of South Australia, Adelaide. Um, so I've lived all around Australia being an army kid. Uh, so yeah. I have a, quite a, a rich military background, um, but call Adelaide home right now. Um, yeah, so as you mentioned, I served in the Royal Australian Navy for six years and after that in the Australian Army Reserve, um, studied engineering, um, and just through a process of, um, I guess, more of an organic journey with Vicky is where we've sort of got to today and um, and uh, what I do with Lighthouse Futures and um, look forward to, I guess, diving into that a little bit as we discuss uh, in our podcast today. Yeah, and I, I love this topic because so often we worry about the past and we mm. worry about the future. We forget about just living in the present but we can't forget about the future and what, you know, realize what we do today is impacting the future. And, uh, you know, what can we do to make sure it's a good one for everyone? So uh, with your diverse background that you have, what led you on the journey that you are on today? Give us a little bit of that backstory. Yeah, it's it's a been it's a, been a quite a patient one, Dickie. It's uh, as I mentioned, <laughs> I, it's uh, yeah. I had leaving high school, I had little to no idea what I wanted to do in life. Uh, so I joined the military, as being a military family. Um, but through my travels, um, it set a bit of a seed in me and what I was noticing in the world and both what was good and bad. And going on to do studies and then into the work, um, you know, looking at that sort of. I very much said that this personal that that just world theory, um, that good and bad, um, uh, good and evil, black and black and black and white, that sort of belief. Um, but going through those motions of work, um, travel, experiences, and research, you start to realise that that's quite the just world fallacy. So in the end, uh, lighthouse futures is our response to that fallacy in some way. Um, so that maybe a just world can be realised. It's it's our input, our contribution to try and get there. Um, we can't resolve all our problems and, and the just world's problems, but but we try to input where we can. So, and what we have certainly come to realise is that you mentioned about the past, now, and future. Is a lot of what we're realising now, I guess, our latent consequences from the past through bad decisions and bad models and bad forms of leadership and. Um, We've acquired that learning and conscious now in some degree, but what do we, what do, we do now so we can sort of take that in the future so we don't realise those consequences? Because um, uh, time's running out in, in many respects where a lot of converging things are happening and we really do have no time for consequences to be played out. Uh, we need to acquire, as I mentioned in, in our sort of, I guess our business model, our consciousness and thinking and, and trying to learn from those past mistakes so we can sort of take them to the now and, and hopefully realize a better future. Yeah, and as project managers, that's one of the key roles we do in the very first phase of a project is taking the time to understand processes, looking for gaps mm -hmm. and opportunities where you know most of the, the business leaders that we are doing the project for want to just go right into, delve right into the solution without thinking about the impacts of what that maybe quick answer might be. 
Absolutely. Yeah, no, you're dead right. And it's you can rush in and rush in the fail um, and yeah. investing in that time to realise um, what could be consequences from our actions by not engaging in a broader audience and developing that sort of a more systemic view of things. Uh, we often can create further consequences later. Um, so that's what we're about. Uh, that's what we try to embed in organisations as, as practitioners and advisors um and uh yeah so it, it it's a and you mentioned regenerative practices and that's what we sort of do really try and say regenerative leadership is our mantra and regenerative is about making sure that what you do today that almost that setting a seed is creating a tree for and fruits for the future so and that's not mutually exclusive of profit or gain uh we try to prove that 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 is a win-win that they're not mutually exclusive and and one of the things I, I like to say in my more seasoned age that I found is that, that sometimes if you take too long to worry about all the risk that might come or the potential of failure, you don't get anywhere. You know, mm, it, it's yes. you become stagnant. And um to and it's totally foreign to some ideas of of past projects and things like that where you know a lot of the people that I used to work with in leadership would take months if not years to think of what the next step would be for mm. the future and not really thinking about what it was going to be like in the future and they were trying to solve for things as they are today yes so yeah, uh, it's a, a great point yeah, it's a great point. Um, you, you're dead right. You can't overthink things. It, and it gets to the sort of point where we mentioned about the top of our discussion today, the turbulence and complexity part, is that people mm -hmm. are becoming overwhelmed. And yeah. they think that they need to create overwhelming processes or you know, or patterns or risk management to respond to that. The paradox of that is actually it's the complete opposite. It's yeah. what we mentioned about navigating today. It's almost about getting in amongst it and, and influencing it in some way. It, it's what you talk about there is about adaptation, but you can transform by influence. So, and it's about asking that question, what could happen if we did this? So that's what the leaders today need to probably embrace is that level of paradox that while things are getting more complex and turbulent, the actual answer is not to become more complex in your processes. It's actually a direct opposite. So it's it's one that it, many leaders sort of struggle to embrace or or struggle to come to grips with. It's something that in terms of what we mentioned, what I'll mention later is that if you start to step through that and developing that mindfulness, you actually start to realize that yes, letting go of it, creating simple processes actually creates complex behaviors or complex that then respond to that complex environment. So it's about creating an environment that's more, it is adaptive, but also very flexible and organic and, and writing with the complexity rather than trying to write against it. That's, if you think about it, it, it just makes perfect sense because if you're doing simple steps, sm smaller chunks, if you will, if something goes wrong, it's easier to fix. It's easier to find where it's broke. But Absolutely. when you get into that complexity where it's to that point where you don't know to find the source of the issue may take months and or weeks, you know, to find. Absolutely. And and this was all what it came out when I was doing, you mentioned that I was an auditor of major projects. I mm -hmm. saw this sort of consistency that 
large organizations were tripping over and getting entangled in complex processes and and there seems to be this sort of again another parody but uh but this sort of inverse relationship that you know the, the bigger these organizations get they create complex processes and they're less adaptive and less uh innovative they are so yeah. And then my sort of advice was actually starting to try because when you actually start to wind back some of your processes and actually start to create conversations, you're stopping conversations from happening. So becoming a bit more organic with your leadership and also a bit more enabling, a bit more delegative. So stop trying to hold things too tightly because in the end, what's happening is you, you sort of can't then spot the things that emerge before it's too late because yeah. you can't see it. You can't yeah. see it. So and that's complexity. You can't see things that emerge. So the actual answer is try and create some simplexity out of complexity. It's a, it's one thing that uh, it's a, it's a paradox and, and it's a, it doesn't sound right. It sounds a bit upside down, but that it's, it's, that's the answer. So you talked about something that in my public speaking training, I always remind people that they should forget about it being a speech or a project or, or a presentation, that it's just a conversation. Because I really think that that's the root of all evil oftentimes is our inability to just have conversations where mm. we're either trying to tell or instruct and we don't allow for that back and forth piece, piece which becomes the richness of solving problems more organically, I think. Absolutely. And uh, being in the Navy, um, saw good and bad. Um, the good parts were what, and uh, in terms of dealing with turbulence and the complexity of it is the preparedness part. The bad parts were the hierarchy and the, the level of ideas and conversation that can be had to make it a better organisation and maybe a better level of preparedness. Um, but you're right. It, it, the conversations, that organisational cafe part, that water bubbler can definitely be more rich than the 30-minute meeting that's more structured. So um, I often talk about the organisational cafe being more rich to actually grab insights and to be able to notice those little things that are emerging. So, um, and you know, that top-down, bottom-up sort of approach to conversations as well. Is having a, and this word floating around, psychological safety, to enable people to actually share that sort of thing is, is very rich and, and being a, a former managing director of a firm, well, some of our best ideas came from the shop floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, this was a company struggling when I took it over. Um, and some of those ideas that were just generating and ideas are the nutrition for an organization. You know, uh, I forget who it was who said that the history of humanity is the history of ideas. If you stop ideas floating around, the organization becomes necrotic, necrosis sets in and it starts to die. So if anything else, what conversations bring, conversations bring ideas. So when we talk about that, um, it makes me think of the employee engagement and how in your conversations with people in your coaching, how has employee engagement and the retention dropped especially in these last several years, given yes. the pandemic and the reorganization of um, of companies. Yeah, I think what the pandemic really provided a salient example of was that people worked, have worked corporations out. I think they've worked them out. Um, you know, corporations have these value systems or these value statements and often fall short of it, way short of it. So I think in, there's a lot of systemic and behavioral 
um, and probably even generational aspects to that question, Vicky, to be honest. But I think for me, one thing that sort of pops out that people have worked corporations out, that there's a level of balance that people are seeking now um, that they probably never thought before and now have the power to actually demand. Yeah. Um, I think yeah, it's it's they're seeing their leadership, as I mentioned before, creating these systems of complexity that are not expecting ideas coming out. And other people are seeing more, I guess, future thinking organisations do that. So they're asking their corporations or their companies or businesses that they're working in, why are we doing that? So there comes this relative comparative sort of situation as well. So that issue in itself is complex. There's many layers to it. Um, but I think you'll find that that this the retention part is a response to people working corporations out. And not a lot of them are walking the talk. And I think it's smart that corporations are starting to realise this, that they're starting to respond, that there's not just a one-way relationship anymore. There needs to be a, a mutually reinforcing relationship and respect for a relationship until the corporations do that, that employee engagement retention is going to be a continuing problem. Right. On your website, you talk about transition sense making. Share more about the true state of our operating environment of our companies and our corporations. Yeah, it's a bit of a, well, sort of, sort of touched on a little bit there is mm -hmm. that we, we need to realize that a lot of the problems that we're um, encountering now have come from the past these aren't just you know, a lot of work talk about buka and complexity and turbulence is a new thing that it's not a new thing it's it's latent consequences latency from previous bad decisions and models that we unfortunately have to absorb now today it's just that's the reality so that's the operating environment coupled with that you've got climate change hyperconnectivity You've got globalization. Now you've got pandemics in there, and and all these other things that we now need to contend with. That's our operating environment. So this notion of sense making is is, is ability to actually then create. Okay, what do we do to create strategies? And I guess our our I don't use roadmaps as you, as you're well aware. I think we'll get on the C charts in a second. How can we get into this notion of what, how do we create a strategy and all that? So. But for me, it's actually nothing to be scared of. It's actually something to, to leverage. I always believe in a crisis, in something like a pandemic, there, there's always silver linings or there's always benefits or there's there's parts of that that actually are quite something to um, lean on or to leverage. I think mm -hmm. I like the word, like the word uh, leverage. So that's the sense-making part. So when we talk about transition, we are more getting to the transition phase because we are acknowledging that we're probably not going, haven't gone through something like this, probably not seen since the Industrial Revolution, yeah. uh, all these changes, uh, especially technological. We're about to go through a phase now where new technologies are going to uh, redefine and shape humanity for the next 100, 200 years. Yeah. A bit like what the Industrial Revolution did 250 years ago. So this transition part is very critical at the moment. So upskilling, training of people, new jobs, future of work, um, you mentioned AI before, Vicky, and robots and things. Like that. I sort of been, a lot of people are scared of that. I actually think that's something to embrace in some way. We, we, yeah. we, 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 humanity roboticized itself through these last 200 or so years. We, we became robotic in our jobs and what we do. And I think that's also a little bit where the mental health and well-being issues sort of come into it in some way. So let, let the robots do the robotic jobs. Let's see what we can do to be more creative 
create ideas and be a bit more imaginative. That's where I see the discussion where it should be had, not this fear and concern discussion about AI and robots. So I, I, turn, I we look at transition as a very positive thing, but important that it needs to be done now because the next 15, 20 years are going to shape where humanity sits at, say, the year 2040 or 2050. So if that's not done, there will be people left out as what happened in the Industrial Revolution. I, I absolutely agree. You know, my last projects were related to embracing that new technology because where I worked was a large transportation company and a lot of those mundane, you know, robotic, as you will, kind of jobs, nobody really wanted. And, and so the workforce mm. was dwindling, but it the size and the need was growing. And yes. so what is the solution? And the solution is this technologies, these different ways to automate and whatnot. And, uh, and so it, and it's new frontier yep. to me, it was exciting to be able to put in on my, what if hat and start yes. to say, okay, what if we did this? And, yes. and sure, we don't know where we're going to go or if it's going to work, but let's dang, try it. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's come at a really good point because it's, it's come at that juncture where you mentioned about the employee engagement retention part. I think employers want to do more meaningful work, more creative work. So the, yes. the robots have come at a good time, I think. It's not the panacea, and I'm, I'm very big on not technology being the panacea for our ills and our problems. We've got to be careful not creating further consequences. We've got to be smart about our technology, making sure AI is deployed for, for good and not bad and things like that. We've got to be very careful in that way. We can probably learn from the internet that way We've with AI and other things. But I think it's coming at a good time for humanity to be more creative. And you know, if we're going to go down this economy of data and robotic job, we'll let them do it and we'll get on with the creative and imaginative stuff. And and because if you think of it, where we are with the world, as you mentioned, the, the environment and the challenges we mm. have with climate, and we need people to start being innovative and creative and, 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 you know, part of why I want to be helping people be better communicators and, and why I think it's so tied to leadership is because we have, gotten to the point where we were not being innovative you you know you try to have yes. a brainstorming session or even try to let people dream of things and and they don't and and so i think we have to get to that point where you have not rushing rushing to solve to solve boring problems but to think yeah. creatively of how can we be innovative and and really have new frontiers if you will Totally agree. And you're right. And you mentioned dreaming. I love that word dreaming about, you know, let's bring dreaming into work. Yeah. Um, I mentioned a bit about, you know, indigenous principles. Um, you know, in Australia, we've got the, the our indigenous brothers mm -hmm. and sisters here. And I, I leverage a lot of their wisdom and a lot of the work that I do. And in that vein, I'll also look at the North American Indians um, and a lot of indigenous people around the world, uh, you know, their wisdom, their principles, how are they so sustainable for so for eons, you know, China Aborigine was here for sixty-five thousand years, living sustainably uh, until Western man came uh, over two hundred years ago. Um, but what can we? How can we uh, embed some of their wisdom? Maybe some of our science and other pr principles as well. A bit of spirituality, Buddhism, Taoism. How can we learn off off all of those sort of principles and wisdoms to create that? Imagine a, mm -hmm. a better world. Yeah. Um, and for me, that's not mutually exclusive of prosperity at all. Yeah. 
We could have a whole seg segment on that for sure. So you mentioned <laughs> earlier that I was going to ask you this question. And on your website, also, you talk about the C-chart development. And you talked yeah. about roadmaps. Obviously, as a project lead, I know all about roadmaps. Talk mm. to me about C-chart development. Okay, so this is probably something I've plagiarized from the Navy. Um, but <laughs> certainly, I've done a lot of research and, and things like that. So roadmaps are one of those things I've mentioned that we've come from the old century and and we're probably never really um, logical and never should have been used, but it's this notion with roadmaps that we can control our environment or predict it or know <laughs> we can turn left and right and and with no hazards. What I say <laughs> with sea charting is that the principle is as long as you know in some sort of way where you want to go, how you get there is not important, but as long as you're prepared for it and, you, and, you, and your preparedness is key, uh, if you then have the mindfulness to chart your way, knowing that there are hazards, there are waves, there are things beneath the boat, there are there's wind, and you know, often look at need to look at lighthouses as a guide, which means looking yeah. externally for an inspiration. And sea charting is what we do. So we often just say, look, don't worry about how you're going to get there. Create the processes that simple simple process of mindfulness. Be prepared. Um, you may embrace the risk, as you mentioned, don't overthink the risk too much and set forth and 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 find that harbour later. How you get there is not important, but as long as you get there. So, but you'll learn along the way. You'll rechart, you'll re-pivot, you'll re-navigate. Uh, we often talk about strategic navigation now, not strategic sort of management, strategic navigation in our sea charts. So that's where we see where the future lies is sea charting, not road mapping. We are so aligned as a project lead. You know, one of the things, a lot of times people thought I was a little bit off to the side, but yeah. I always think of, uh, as I lead projects, uh, of having GPS, you know, and, mm. and GPS will tell me to go one way. And in my gut, I know I, I don't need to go that way. I need to turn a different way. But also, as you're a team leader or any kind of manager supervisor, if someone comes up with a, a different way to get to the end result, you, as a leader, it's not my part to say, no, don't do it that way because it's not yeah. my way. You yes. know, it's not. But let me just take that journey with you to see where it leads us, because if, you know, a lot of times it always gets you to the end. And that's mm. all I want to think about. I want to have the end or the outcome in mind as I'm going. Yep. And if I, if I get to a roadblock, as you were talking about, yep. then you just go a different direction. Yeah, Again, exactly. with the end in mind. Exactly right. And your journey might be a little bit smaller, so you can navigate it. And so you can, it's little journeys here yeah. and there, but you're learning along the way as well. You just learn a bit more and you prepare a bit more as well. And you learn a bit about each other as well. So and there's another military thing, if you don't mind, if I can share is that in the army, when you're navigating along land, you, 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 you use this notion called offsetting. So when you're navigating, you offset slightly off your target because then you know when you get to that point, you know it's to your right or to your left, not where is this? So, <laughs> off, so offsetting is actually a really good navigational tactic. Yeah. Um, just just go, go to, because that way you know that whatever your risks are, are, are over this side. Or mm -hmm. so you deliberately sort of offset off your target or maybe get, do something a little bit shorter and then sort of just hovering there to then know what to do next. So mm -hmm. it just allows you that agility, that, that ability to just know where you are and then pivot. No, no, it's a bit of a cliche word in, in business today, but you know, to create that agility, that level of, uh, of um, awareness of where you are. So then you, and you learn and then and you go again. So 
as you were saying that, and I'm not a big time golfer, but my husband loves to golf. And so I was just thinking of, I'm you're on the putting green. And so for me, I always was a little short of the hole because I knew then my my next distance was much smaller and more attainable than if I had this long putt and I, I, my chances of hitting it were much less. (laughs) That's a really good analogy, actually. I might use that one. I play a bit of golf too. And sometimes you've got to realize your sort of abilities and sometimes not trying to aim for the flag is the right, just maybe being a bit short because then you know exactly where the flag is. So it's a good analogy. I like it. Yeah. There you go. You can. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And so I I wanted to chat a little bit about your three fundamental principles, consciousness, system thinking, and experience-based management. And I know we touched on a lot of these throughout this, but just what was the driving force for you to come up with that and, and speak just a little bit about each of them? Yeah, they sort of reinforce each other, but the consciousness part is about what I sort of mentioned before about doing a lot of research and reading and embracing different things and uh, going back to my sort of the, the organic journey I mentioned before, that was, I guess, a consciousness journey, if anything else. It was about reading things and understanding that maybe the just world thing isn't, you know, isn't real. You know, uh, I felt a bit also in some sort of way with my own education in school and that you, know, you, you learn about you know, the all the world wars and all this sort of stuff and colonization and why things happen, you start to realize that you know things happen probably for other reasons or there's another truth. So or another version of the truth in that sort of regard. And then learning about other people's histories as well. You know, so and that consciousness part, uh, actually my latest business book now, Vicky, is I read a lot more anthropology than more business texts or scientific. You know, I often say to people in sustainability or or just in leadership, you read too many leadership books or sustainability, but you've got to get outside of your own sort of field sometimes to learn something different, uh, a different viewpoint. So I'm learning a lot more about anthropology now, about culture, about even about language, the, the, the important aspect of language and you talk about conversations before. How did the North American Indians have conversations? How did they distribute leadership? And you start to learn some real rich insights in there. And then it's, it's yeah, so consciousness is, Certainly, a point aspect of of, of our approach. Um, systems thinking, uh, yeah, as I mentioned before, um, the systems thinking part is that looking at the broader systemic angle of things. And as a project manager, you, you look at your stakeholders and inputs, and both in and out of your organisation, thinking about complexity, about things you can't control, what you can control, what you can influence, what you can't, what you, what you can nudge, what's worth nudging, what's you know, what's worth ignoring. Uh, or maybe not nudging now, but nudging later. Those sort of things, you know, that where can you leverage and nudge the system to achieve your goals? So, and the experience part is that learning part, that knowledge part, you know, turning data into information, then knowledge and the wisdom. So, and you only can really do that really through experience with complexity. It's, as I mentioned before, we mentioned don't overthink risk. You've got to get into experience. You've got to, you know, let, Take, you know, set your tether off and off the port, go into the ocean and experience that. Um, and you learn from it. And you know, we, we look at things such as our laws or Ashby's law of requisite, requisite variety. You can only really know the variety unless you experience it. So, and then that creates knowledge. So it's about, it is about respecting the, the, the knowledge of the past, but you've got to bring it, there's a level of currency that you need to bring with it. So with all those three in mind, and they're all reinforcing, 
we think that that's a way to bring in that that uh, that nurtures and nourishes leadership, per people's personal growth, and ongoing prosperity, uh, and that that ability to keep on learning and have that conversation. Okay, so let's chat a little bit about the um, what you see is the the three things that people need to really look at going forward to to be able to accomplish the company's mission to really be effective in in their leadership and be able to handle the turbulence and the complexity that we have in this new environment i mean really true kind of business today yeah so the three things i would really implore people and you know, leaders to do is is look at your processes and systems and and really try and understand what the health of that is and whether where they believe it's optimal and what, what are they trying to achieve um as i mentioned before it, it, there's this notion that you know the the the, to, the response to complexity is, is create more complex processes and and what what you they will often find is that will only lead them down a more slippery slope, um, and it's uh and yes dealing with that it can be uh, a, a, a I guess a, a struggle or a challenge for a lot of businesses but uh, but but as I mentioned before it, it, going through that part of just testing it out is something I really implore. Um, the second part is is understanding. The other part would be their, their more broader ability to influence the system and how they can influence the system in terms of their supply chain, uh, their customers, um, uh, and even their communities. I really, one of the things I really implore companies to do is really start thinking and acting outside their four walls. I think the future, the future organization, the future of work is one that will embrace their community a lot more than what's been done in the past. Um, not only as a good thing, that's what they should do, but it's a should do in terms of that's going to give you the information and that nourishment, the ideas that's going to con uh, continue to you be uh, that organization to be prosperous into the future. So create the, the ability for your organization to be more open-minded. Uh, I always heard this, this great comment from Frank Zappa. He said that, um, uh, I think it was, a mind is a bit like a parachute. If it's closed, it, it, it'll never work or it'll lead to death. So you've got to be open-minded open and, and open source. And you know, I'm not, I've always heard these analogy, or these differences and uh, comparisons between Australia and America is that America's more open-minded than what I've, you know, I've been sort of being told about, where Australia can be quite closed-minded. So it's it's quite a, um, and that's being protective of your IP and you, you, you know, your, 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 how you do things and um, um, your strategies and that. But, as I mentioned before, that process is going to deceive you in the future. So you have to actually embrace the openness, uh, which sounds again paradoxical, but that's going to lead to ongoing prosperity in the future. Uh, um, and the third thing I'll, I'll certainly leverage is that ability to embrace distributed leadership, that enabling leadership, that adaptive leadership. Um, it's not what you know that will that will create your ongoing prosperity in the future is almost what you don't know and what you need to and be have the humility to admit yes. Yes. so uh so it, it's embracing what you don't know 
And that's the consciousness part as well. So embracing ideas of your of your of your team uh, and having those conversations and then having humility to admit it. And that's and that results some some courage to admit that. Yeah. So that's yeah. the three things I'll, if anything, I'll leave today um, and really implore people to embrace. So the last question I would have as a rapid fire is um, you talked about enduring prosperity. And I just wanted mm-hmm. you to just quickly just say a few things about that. Yeah, it's it, think paradoxically. Uh, oh, as I mentioned, being more open-minded, having humility, the enduring prosperity will come by almost engaging in actions, behaviors, and creating systems that probably almost go paradoxically and opposite or the antithesis of what was done before. So it's get outside your four walls, start acting behind four walls, embrace risk, embrace uncertainty. Don't try and control it. Don't try and try and force it. Uh, that's where we've gotten to the issues of now. And so, um, and then it, as I mentioned before, this transition we're going through, the enduring prosperity through this transition, the ones who will come out the other side are ones who will have those, keep on having those conversations and embracing both your inner team and out people outside your stakeholders. And that can, that can be quite broad, your stakeholders. It's um, more than just your customers. You know, you engage your um, uh, unions, uh, your charitable organisations, uh, all those, those sort of things. Embrace their ideas and what they see it, where the world's going. Um, mm-hmm. if, if you have that richness of information coming in, that enduring prosperity will come to most. If you still want to act in your four walls and trying to protect that, that's the slippery slope in this transition. Thank you. It's been awesome talking with you. I uh, could talk with you for a long time. Yeah, I think but we do. We do have to end this. Uh, we'll just have to have you back again. But as always, I have contact information for Sean that you can be able to connect with him, learn more. The website that you would want to go to is https colon forward slash forward slash lighthousefutures.com.au. Again, lighthousefutures.com.au. He's on LinkedIn at Sean Deverson. I'm going to let Sean talk to you about his call to action of what you can find on his website and um, other important information. Yeah, so from this podcast, Vicky, we're very keen to speak to people. Um, so the first 10 inquiries that do come through will receive 30 minutes worth of free coaching and advisory services. So you know, come to um, inquire at that um, email address there. You'll find it on the website. Uh, just provide some context and um, we can arrange a Zoom and have a chat. Awesome. So everybody, you want to grab that screenshot. And again, you can email him at E-N-Q-U-I-R-I-E-S inquiries at lighthousefutures.com.au. So we have had a lot of information here shared today. It has been a pleasure. Uh, Again, a lot of insights being shared by Sean, and I hope you all uh, did take notes. Again, take note of that website, please please visit Sean and those first 10 people take advantage of that free contact call with him, discovery call. As always, Sean, I remind everyone that life is a journey and mm. it's up to you to enjoy the ride. This is Vicki Nethling signing off. 
Thank you for tuning into the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling, where we share impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Remember to visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast.